0: Welcome to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts talk about all things Brazilian politics. This week, we will continue analysis of the government transition and discuss perspectives for governability of the Bolsonaro administration. Welcome to Brazilian Politics. I'm Michael Lopez, and I'm joined by my colleagues Lucas and Thiago Aragao. How are you guys doing today?
1: Hello, all. Great to be here. Hello, Michael.
2: Hello,
0: Lucas. All right. So this week, uh, we have had a lot of news. There is uh, signs of of trouble inside the PSL and Bolsonaro camps. Bolsonaro uh, is finalizing his cabinet team. But before we go into these discussions, I'd like to start with a little more Uh, macro scenario of the environment. Now, one thing that was discussed uh, constantly during the electoral period and and before that is that Bolsonaro represented a rupture with uh, Brazilian politics as a whole. However, when we look at the government transition, it seems that the government transition has been pretty smooth so far. How, how can we reconcile these expectations of rupture and the smooth transition that we are witnessing in Brasilia?
1: Michael, the rupture is in terms of a narrative. It's in terms of uh, how he will deal, for instance, with the Congress. It's a rupture in terms of foreign affairs. It's a rupture in the mentality of this government towards, let's say, unions and some uh, social movements, uh, such as the landless movements. But in terms of economic agenda, economic mindset, it's not a rupture, especially if compared uh, uh, with President Temer. It's a rupture compared to the PT, to the Workers' Party, that ruled Brazil from 2003 to 2016 uh, under President Dilma. But... Uh, in terms of economic agenda, it's very similar to to to, to President Temer. And also, I would add uh, that President Temer has always been considered a very elegant politician in how he deals with other politicians. He has always been very uh, smooth in his relationship. He's a PhD in constitutional law. So there would be absolutely no reason to believe that President Temer would create Uh, any problems whatsoever to any transition, especially one that has so many economic compatibilities with him.
0: There are, however, some differences regarding, uh, even in economic policy, between the Tamar administration and Bolsonaro. What do you think are the most important differences? Well, Michael, there are some differences. And and I think that the main
2: point that uh, Minister Geddes wants to bring with alongside his team is to uh, have a more uh, diminish the bureaucratization and the bu- bureaucratic process within the administration. Also try to identify uh, some possibilities of uh, diminishing tax to certain areas in order to stimulate further investments. He also wants to change a little bit the logic, which was predominant during the PT years, of the economy being growing through the machinery of the government, uh, if we recall during the PT, the volume of investments, which later we identified as also one of the main sources of corruption, was state-sponsored investment, mainly in infrastructure. So right now, one of the part of the mentality of this new economic team is to look for the private sector to play a more predominant role in triggering and stimulating this economic growth and not necessarily the state doing that anymore. So instead of the state spending, the state wants to make it easier and more simpler for private sectors uh, to, to be the drivers of this growth.
0: Thank you, Thiago. Now, going back to this idea of the, the rupture of the way that coalitions are built and Bolsonaro's new strategy to build a coalition, we heard a lot about interaction with specific thematic caucuses in Congress, like the agribusiness uh, caucus and the military caucus. Um, but what we saw this week is that Bolsonaro is holding mass meetings uh, with parliamentarians from several parties. Should we take these meetings as a sign that maybe traditional parties will actually play an important role in the building of this coalition?
1: We've been saying here in our podcast uh, how important the, the caucuses are. However, we've, we've also been saying that at, at no moment... It will be able bolsonaro will be able to negotiate with the Congress for getting the parties I think the the, the strategy to use the caucuses is uh a, of a, a, a viable one. I think it's doable I think it's a good starting point, but it will not give him considerable margin for governability for a long run uh, He can use the caucuses obviously because they are very important, very organized they're big they have a lot of congressmen they have a lot of interests involved. But he will have to negotiate with the parties, especially because the parties, although they have lost uh, their number one variable uh, that kept them as the the most important organization in Congress, which is the power to punish the congressmen the parties no longer punish they have they have just become this agglomerate this this conglomerate of interests uh, but they do have a, a variable that caucuses don't they are able to. In an organized fashion, occupy seats in special committees and committees in the in the board of the House. So I have no doubt that Bolsonaro will use the caucuses, but I have no doubt that Bolsonaro will also speak, negotiate and dialogue with the parties. If he doesn't do that, it's going to be a very fast track to a bumpy governability.
0: And how ready is Bolsonaro and his party to actually engage in, in these negotiations? These, these negotiations, they uh, require uh, concessions, they require a huge amount of pragmatism, but also they require a unity of uh, the administration and its party, the PSL, and um, in your opinion, do you think Bolsonaro and his team, especially his team in Congress, do you think they're up for the challenge? Michael? Uh, yes, I think that they're up to the challenge, but it's normal that in a new
2: administration, and not only in a new administration, but an administration that is basically a, a 180 degrees change from the previous one, uh, the, the, this procedure, everything has to be restarted. And Bolsonaro's coalition... And as Lucas well explained, their relationship with Congress is being built from the victory until now. While in the previous years that the PT won, we knew basically how the formation of the new administration would be even before the election began, because the key names in the party, they were already linked to specific areas of the government. But right now, what we have to see is that Bolsonaro, although his party, the PSL, is is uh, became a big party in the Congress. He cannot rely exclusively on the PSL to lead his approach as an allied base to approve the necessary and the important things in the Congress, because the PSL is is a, although a big party right now inside the Congress, the, the House of Representatives is a new party. It's with a lot of newcomers that still do not understand the intrinsicacies of the of the Congress relationship. So this is something that Bolsonaro, he will have to dilute a little bit more, the importance, the division of responsibilities, and he will have to be very agile. And, and, and his minister of the civil house, Onyx Lorenzoni, will also have to be very skillful in order to do this without creating problems of uh, friendly fire within the PSL and within the allied caucuses.
0: Now I I'd like to go into a little more detail about this friendly fire. In Brasilia we we are hearing a lot of rumors about a an internal a disagreement that uh, could go as far as becoming a rift inside of the PSL. Um could you go into a little more detail for our listeners on what are the different poles of power inside the PSL and how this dynamic could turn out in the future legislature.
1: Mike, you have Bolsonaro and in the, in the center you have the military group which has the important figure of General Heleno and other uh, generals that uh, have been around for for a while now they are more pragmatic they are more conservative in the approach to how to negotiate with Congress. They understand the power of the parties, the power of the institutions. They, they defend that Bolsonaro has a more pro-establishment uh, posture from this point, moment on. And then you have other people fluctuating around Bolsonaro, like Onyx Lorenzoni and Gustavo Bebiano, who's from the PSL, who uh, are, are, I wouldn't say unexperienced in terms of political articulation, political coordination, but they are definitely not showing capacity at this moment to have all the variables organized in the single path. Just in the recent weeks, we had Onyx say that the pension reform could ha- could be approved in four years. You had Paulo Guedes saying that it's absolutely necessary to be approved in one year. And then you had Bolsonaro saying that uh, it, it can be approved uh, by pieces. You had one of his sons saying that he's going to try his best, but he can't promise anything. And then you have the economic team just talking about pension reform, but then the political team doesn't, Uh, 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 follow the pace. I think the most troublesome area right now, I would point out to two. It's uh, Onyx's potential incapacity to organize these these narratives and the PSL in the house, which has shown a massive ego uh, problem in terms of trying to organize leaderships around this newcomer party. So I think it's a a difficult task, but Bolsonaro needs to organize his agenda. The paths for the the narratives are following multiple paths, especially the one that matters the most in terms of growth and the return of investment and return of the investment grade, which is the pension reform. Bolsonaro is in urgent need to organize the narrative around the pension reform and his governability because Onyx has been showing increasing signs that he might not be up to the task uh, as of now.
0: And I, I imagine that this task becomes a lot more difficult when inside the party itself, like you mentioned, the PSL in the lower house is starting to show signs of uh, some some serious disagreements between uh, noteworthy, uh, newly elected parliamentarians like Eduardo Bolsonaro and uh, Joyce Hasselman, uh, which we saw this week, they engaged in some... Uh, spirited uh, discussions in an internal uh, WhatsApp group uh, of the PSL. But looking at the lower house in a in a bigger context, what is the risk for the Bolsonaro administration that uh, centrist and traditional parties could organize and form a unified voting block in order to secure leadership positions in the house, not only the presidency but presidencies of key of permanent committees and other leadership positions in Congress?
2: Well, Michael, one of the risks for that is that uh, he might fall into the trap that happened with uh, former President Dilma. Former President Dilma, during the the end of her first term and the beginning of second term, particularly on the second term, she had to negotiate vote by vote. Uh, and, And the level of loyalty from her allied base was very low. Uh, making her unable to forecast potential victories and the better timing in order to put certain bills of interest of the government to be voted. Of course she was already in a critical uh, critically negative moment at her administration. but one of the risks for bolsonaro is that uh, in a bloc that controls substantially the House of Representatives, they can have the upper hand in relation to the executive than the other way around. And by having the upper hand, they might put the, the, the executive against the wall in the context that the executive will have to negotiate types of votes in a systematic basis. And one of the things that we also have to observe is that loyalty... Uh, ranges from 60 to 70% normally. So he cannot expect a very high loyalty from uh, the entire allied base. So that's why having a bank, having a reserve of votes for the necessary approvals uh, is very important for him. And this is one of the risks that lies ahead of him.
0: Now, moving from Congress into the executive itself, we see that uh, Jair Bolsonaro is nearly finished selecting his uh, cabinet team. I believe only the Ministry of the Environment still hasn't been appointed, and we should see that appointment concluded soon. But looking at the team as a whole, we have very influential individuals inside of the Bolsonaro administration with a huge amount of autonomy to set policy and to set up their teams. And a lot of these individuals in the executive have very different styles, very different uh, personal styles, styles of communication, styles of negotiation. Um, Do you see this as a problem? Do you think Uh, this could create obstacles for unity in the executive moving on?
1: I think it's all a matter of Bolsonaro being able to organize the narrative. I think it's a a common thing to have multiple personalities and to have different styles of of advancing your, your work. You know, Meirelles has a style very different from Lula when he was... President Lula and and, and Meireles Central Bank President. And at the same time, you had Dilma Rousseff at the time at the Chief of Staff, who disliked Meireles. Uh, you had in the in Dilma, too, Mercadante as a Chief of Staff um, and Mantega as the Minister of Finance, and both uh, not having a good relationship with Congress. And things happen as it did with the impeachment. E- even under... A tamer. You had Congressman in Basai, which was very liked by the congressman, but uh, according to the congressman, didn't have the the skills necessary to negotiate. So I, I think that it's not a problem of personality. I think it's a problem of everyone being on the same page, everyone having the same narrative, not having these uh, uh, topics of the same topic, but with different opinions, like pension reform in four years, pension reform in a year, pension reform is not that important. Oh, it's the priority. I think it's a matter of everyone on the same page uh, and everyone not touching on the issue of the other. And if they do, in a coordinated manner, it's all a matter of coordination, regardless of personalities, of, of big personalities, of big egos.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned pension reform because as the self-declared main priority of the new Bolsonaro administration. We have had a bunch of different takes on pension reform, uh, especially on uh, the feasibility of getting it approved next year and and whether um, it could be approved in four years, like Lucas mentioned. But one thing that we heard this week, which was something new, was Bolsonaro saying that pension reform could be sliced up into different proposals, and these proposals could be sent individually into Congress. As political strategists, how do you evaluate this strategy? Do you think it's a positive strategy, or are there risks? Michael, there are substantial risks for that,
2: uh, because you are basically chopping down also the negotiation for it. Of course, when you send everything, a pension reform as a block, it involves a larger, more complex, longer negotiation. But as we saw under the Temer administration, this is possible to happen. Uh, President Temer, he had everything adjusted to approve the pension reform. If it wasn't for the accusations from uh, the Prosecutor General, Janot, that stalled the process of approving the pension reform. So he, he... you show that this negotiation is possible. When you slice it up, you increase the chance of having, uh, an important portions of the pension reform delayed or not approved, creating a potential Frankenstein of what the final result could be. And, and, and again, it forces you to have not less complex uh, uh, negotiations and, and also com- negotiations in a continuous basis that also can suffocate time to approve other things that are uh, uh, important for the government and not only the pension reform.
0: Thank you very much, Thiago. That will do it for this week. I want to thank Lucas and Thiago again. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And I'd like to invite our listeners to tune in next week for more discussions on Brazilian politics. Thank you very much.